Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Me Athlete Radio. Welcome to episode 13 of the No Meat Athlete podcast. This is Matt Frazier, joined as always by my co-host Doug Hay. Doug, how are you doing today? Doing well, Matt. How are things going in Nashville? They are going very well. I'm actually going to a concert tonight at the Orange Peel, which is like one of the best clubs in the country, apparently, according to Rolling Stone or somebody. Yeah, it's uh, I'm seeing Social Distortion, who uh, maybe you're a little too luck too young for them, Doug. Or do, you, do you know them? <laughs> oh yeah, I know who they are. <laughs> okay. I'm actually slightly too young for them, like in their in their prime. Prime, yeah. Got into them uh, later, like listening to their older stuff. But cool. anyway, going there, and I've only been there once before for like a little kids uh, kids show, some sort of some sort of uh, jumping around, you know, singing uh-huh. thing that was, <laughs> that wasn't really the full taste of the orange peel, I don't think. <clears throat> so um, going well, and uh, having a beer before that because. Uh, I'm I'm celebrating the end of my or the, the completion of my 12-hour run, and you I heard you crack something open right before we started. What what uh what was that, Doug? Yeah, I'm drinking a, a summer solstice this this afternoon. Uh, Anderson Valley Brewing Company. Oh yeah, that orange one that tastes like creamy or something. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I know about that. Yeah, it's pretty good. Good. Yeah, we used to go to the Orange Pool in college a lot. So fun place. Oh, you've been there? Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Cool. You, uh, you'll have a good time tonight. Good. So anyway, um, we are going to do something a little bit differently today, just just different in that we usually try to focus the episodes on like, um, I don't know, either we'll have a guest who we'll interview or, you know, we'll have a theme where we sort of try to um, deliver some sort of valuable insight or lesson or something along the lines of that theme. Today's different because um, I just, as I mentioned, did this 12-hour race this weekend in preparation for my 100-miler. At least what I hope will be a hundred miler. Um, and Doug, you did uh, your own thing, which was more of a hiking thing, but you know it sounded just as hard as as mine, if not harder. Um, you know, hiking, running things. And what exactly did you do, Doug? I don't even know for sure entirely the details myself. <laughs> yeah, so I did uh, something that I'm coining as fast packing, which is kind of seems to be the term that people are using. Um, and so I set out with a couple of buddies, and we did a 102-mile section of the Appalachian Trail that runs through uh, Shenandoah National Park in Virginia. Okay. And nice. so we did um, kind of a mostly self-supported. We picked up some food along the way um, trip uh, over three days. So we did 36 miles the first day, um, 44 miles the second day, and 22 miles the second, the third day. So Wow, that's yeah. I mean, that's I don't know. To me, that's crazy. I'm just wondering. I we'll get to. I mean, we're gonna talk about my 12-hour race first, and then we'll get into some details about yours. I hope some of my dogs are going nuts um, <laughs> because the lawn guy's here, who I told not to ring the doorbell, but he did that anyway. Apparently. Anyway, sorry about that. Um. So yeah, so I'm interested in, in yours because I don't really understand, you know, what it feels like to do. Anytime I've run. You know, 25 miles or beyond. I've not done anything the next day. Right, right. Um, so I'm I'm curious to see how that how that went, and uh, you know, some other questions too. Just just how it differed from running and. Sure. Yeah. It, it it was a it was an interesting experience and lots of lessons. So it'll be fun to fun to talk about a little later on. Good. 
All right. So, um, with that little intro, I guess we will get into my thing. And uh, I've got, I've had a surprising amount of people have asked me, um, you know, say they're impatiently waiting for my race <laughs> report for this 12-hour race, which I didn't really expect because, um, I don't know, I, I just tend not to uh, read race reports that much. People write them. I just, I don't know. Um, they're long and you know, sometimes boring. So I figured what I would do instead of writing one, because I didn't really know what to write about a race that was like 5K over and over and over. I mean, just sort of an odd situation. Um, I figured it'd be good you know, to do the recap via podcast, and you know, maybe that would entice some people who normally don't listen to the podcast to check it out. Um, so anyway, what, what it was was the Black Mountain Monster. It is a 12-hour race where all you do is uh, there's a 5K loop that they've, that they've set up ahead of time, and it's not on the roads. Like, it's a lot of trail and grass, and they, they said, like, apparently someone said about this race that it was as if the race directors tried to make the course go through as many ecosystems as possible. <laughs> and, uh, and they really did. I mean, it was a really nice, nice course. Like, it was not a boring loop at all. And uh, anyway, you run around that 5K loop for 12 hours, and you just try to get as far as you can. And uh, they had a 24-hour option also, which actually more people, I think, were doing the 24 than the 12. Interesting. Uh, yeah, and a six-hour option and also, like, some relays where you could you could be on a team and, you you know, each person would do six, and then you could either do 12 or 24 miles. Um, so anyway, I, I was using it as my big training run for the 100. Burning River 100 is my goal race uh, in late July. And I was hoping to get 100K, and I wrote a blog post about this, hoping to get 100K, which would be 62 miles and you know longer than I'd ever run before because all I'd done before was 50 miles. Um, and I did not get that in. I only got – well, I say only, but I mean compared to that, it is only um, 52.7, I think, 17, 17 three-mile loops, which – yeah, 52.7 – sorry, 17 5K loops. And uh, – and I stopped at 11 hours and 15 minutes in because you kind of – I don't know if you have to get the last loop in for it to count or if it's just for some sort of honor system thing. But it was at a point in the day and where I was, I was like, I don't think I can get another 5K loop in in 45 minutes. So, um, you know, I just figured I'd stop there. But I, I don't know. They they were saying – the guys that like the race director or the, the volunteers were like, come on, go go do one more. You can get it in. But the, I think the loop before that took me about 50 minutes. So, mm. you know, I just wasn't interested in, in running anything beyond <laughs> 12 hours. And I didn't want to be stuck out 15 minutes away or something still. and Because, right. you know, by then 15 minutes seemed like an eternity extra. Sure. So um, the reason I didn't get, get as far as I had hoped um, was was that I, I went out too fast, which I wrote in this post that that uh, you know the reason that I was really not afraid about this race, like I wasn't nervous at all, like like often I am before a 50 miler, was because of this format where because it was for time instead of distance. All you need to do, I mean, it's it's not like there's a finish line where where like the day is a failure if you don't cross that finish line. Like it's not like you get a DNF on a race like this. You just you just stop. So like if you're not feeling well, which I got to a point where I really wasn't uh, because I ran so fast. Uh, you, you know, you can walk and, and put on some music or whatever and just, just kind of pass the time until you feel better. And it's not like you're not making progress towards your goal like you would be in a race if you're, if you're walking, or at least very, very slow progress, um, you know, because the clock's still ticking. So it's just sort of like you got to find a way to, to pass that time and just keep moving. So it was good. I mean, and I, I was correct that it wasn't – I did go out a little bit too fast, and I crashed somewhat, and – uh it wasn't quite as maybe painful as it would have been in another place, another race where I felt like 
I don't know, just felt like I had to had to keep moving or or I'd push yourself. Know. Yeah, and and like, and like question quitting and all that because it wasn't you know I never had any point of that. It was always like keep walking. That, that was no problem at all. Right. So, and, but I think because of that format, like that's what kind of let me take too big a risk in the beginning to go you know to go because I went out of like ten minute miles, which is stupid. My plan was to do eleven or eleven thirties, and. Uh, yeah, you know, just after the first loop, I realized I was running 10-minute miles, and I was like, "Oh, this doesn't feel so bad. I can keep this up all day." And and sure enough, like 35 miles in, I mean, I, I lost that pace by like 20. I think 25 miles took me four hours and 30 minutes, um, which is a little. I mean, that's too fast, really, for what I wanted to do. And I don't know. By by the end of I think five 50 miles took me. 10 and a half hours or something and at 35 on i was really walking a lot i, I like took one loop where i completely walked and then did like a half walk half run and then by the end actually bounced back and was running again so what, what was kind of like the success of the day for me was that i got to do some of that you know i got used to the idea of walking like knowing you had a long way to walk and actually getting through a period where where you have to walk for a long time and like, I guess, you know, feeling myself recover and bounce back from the spot where, where back at like mile 35, it felt like, like, oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? What did I do? Right. Um, so it was, it was good to kind of get, get practice, you know, in that, like, it's not really a fun situation to be uncomfortable and be walking and be miserable and feel like he went out too fast, but I got practice doing that. And I kind of just for, in some way I was in the mindset of the hundred. I was like, what if, what if this was a hundred? What if I still had 70 miles to go instead of instead of 20 and and it i don't know it was a good it was good for me like i I somehow didn't feel like terrified about that it seemed it seemed all right so it was a tough race all in all um tough for me that i went too fast and didn't didn't really pace myself well but but anything over 50 was a success as far as i was concerned for the training and uh a lot of other things and the and the other thing that i did really well with this one was the actual planning like i've never really thought too much about I mean, I've I've certainly thought out how much how much electrolytes you're supposed to get, how many carbohydrates per hour are you supposed to get. Right. I've thought about those things and I've written posts about those things, but I've never really done it, um, you know, like paid a lot of attention to it. I kind of always just sort of assumed that I was getting that, or like eyeballed it and said, yeah, well, I'm probably getting that many electrolytes through this Gatorade and whatever else. But um, you know, because I was using this for the for like such you know the big rehearsal basically for the hundred miler. I felt like I really had to dial all that stuff in. So I paid a lot of attention and realized that I really, for the most part, don't get nearly as many electrolytes as you're supposed to. I kind of thought, well, a sports drink has electrolytes, so if I just drink Gatorade as my drink instead of water, then I'm getting it. But, uh, you know, a 20-ounce thing of Gatorade has, I think it's like 270 milligrams of sodium. Uh-huh. And most, most things that I read said 400 to 800 per hour is what you need. Wow. So if you could drink two 20 ounce Gatorades per hour, then yeah, you'd you'd get at the lower end of that range, and and some things even said like you might in in extreme circumstances, which I would assume a 50 miler and beyond is, uh, especially because it was really hot this day. I forgot to mention that it was like I don't know what temperature was, but it was definitely it was around 90 for sure. Um, so you know that that probably is considered extreme. I don't know. I mean it's not like bad water extreme, but uh, you know sure. I just I just had the idea that maybe. Maybe I should be getting 800 to 1,000 electrolytes, and now you know I wasn't even close to that. So what I did was take uh, I took three indoor light tabs every hour, like right on the hour. I made sure to take those, and that was another 120 milligrams. Okay. And then I per, also per tab or uh... no, it's for three of them is 120. 
Okay. So I took three of those on top of one bottle of Gatorade, twenty ounce Gatorade each loop, and then I did those um what noon or nun tablets? I don't know how to pronounce it, but the N U U N. I put one of those in water for like each. So basically, each loop I was doing, and at the beginning I was doing close to two loops an hour. So I was saying one loop would be Gatorade, the other loop would be a bottle of water with the nun in it. And uh, <clears throat> so that I mean you know it worked well, and but but the best part of it was just kind of figuring out ahead of time exactly what I was supposed to get. Then actually trying to get that much and sort of feeling how it went and seeing how it went, you know. And now I can adjust for the for the big race and figure out what what exactly to do. And right. and I don't know. I just felt like that was something that I haven't done before, and I was really glad to have done that. And uh, oh yeah, my fueling strategy. So another thing I mentioned, I was going to try to eat dates the entire time. So what I did was ate one. There was like an aid station on on the loop. Like the, there was a maiden aid station at the end and start of the loop, and then there was one in the middle of it, 1.6 okay. miles into the 5k loop. So what I, my plan was every time I pass one of these two aid stations, I will eat a date out of my pocket and I could, you know, pick up more as I, as I pass my, my little station where my stuff was. Um, so that was, that was pretty much every 15 to 20 minutes I was eating one date. Uh, it worked really well for about 25 miles. And then I just couldn't even imagine eating another date. It was like, this <laughs> is like, I thought I, like, someone had left a comment saying how they, tried this once with some food and they could never even look at that food again and it wasn't that bad because like i'm you know i've eaten dates today again but i i didn't want any dates at all after that so i realized that that's not going to work for me like every eating only dates isn't going to work that if i want to get so. if i want to get that amount of carbohydrate like 30 to 60 grams of carbohydrates um it's too hard to get with dates because at least for me you know i need to add something else to it be it sports drink most likely what i'll do is try to eat one every half an hour or hour in the in the big race and then have something in between each of those times something else not sure maybe potatoes uh maybe maybe something i don't know i'm kind of still i don't have a good answer to this and this is one of these one of several questions that i have now as a result of this race like what um is there really a good reason to eat slower digesting carbohydrates like i've heard i've heard a couple different arguments i've heard people say yes you should eat you should eat foods that's kind of a combination of both or just eat, you know, alter, like like I said, alternate the dates with something else. Um, and that's something else, you know, if, if if you were trying to eat slower digesting carbohydrate might be, you know, something that's like specifically designed for that, like a sports nutrition type thing or just something like more like, I don't know, whole wheat bread or um, I'm kind of blanking. What are some other what, – what else might – like Doug, what else might you eat on a – long thing i mean i use like pita yeah. and hummus is one i do a right. lot yeah. you know sort of real whole food saltier type food but anyway what so sandwiches you know that yeah, kind of thing exactly and stuff with fat in it is another question because a lot right. of people apparently say that's important but we talked to brian powell on this podcast um a couple months ago and he said told us you know he kind of said like you really don't need anything except for sugar and anything mm-hmm. else that you're getting besides sugar is really just sort of a a com- mentally comforting thing for you. And, and if that helps you get through the race, then great, but it's not really doing anything for you. Right. And I've also heard the, heard the argument that one of the challenges of ultramarathons is that your body can't process carbohydrate as fast as it uses it up. So so eventually you will run out. If, um, you're, if, if you're eating the slow foods, right? Well, this no, this was sort of like you can't even physically process as much as you're burning. Like to keep – eventually, you know, eventually after some amount of hours – you're going to go into a state of near depletion. Hmm. So so you need to be sort of good at burning fat. Your body needs to have been trained to do that. Um, and I, I could be screwing this up somehow. But the idea was that since you can't eat enough anyway, 
there was no real point in doing the slow stuff because, you know, your body, it's not like you can save that for later. Like if your body can't keep up, it can't keep up. So you might as well just, just eat the, eat the quick digesting stuff so you get it right away instead of having to wait. Right. So I don't yeah. know. I, I'd like to get answers to that and I'm going to try to do that in between now and end of July. I, I don't, what kind of, did you have any stomach problems? I know that I have, um, you know, after a while, if I don't have anything solid, if I'm just eating, you know, goose or even dates, you know, something that high sugar, I, I need something else to kind of settle my stomach. Yeah, I, people mention that a lot, and I just don't really have stomach issues like that. I mean, I get, I get to the point where I don't want any more food, and that's, that's a bad thing. Right. And apparently, as I learned when I was sort of like researching stuff finally, that can be a sign of, hydration or electrolyte issues hmm. i forget which one it is but in in relentless for forward progress brian powell's book there's a good chart of like all the possible combinations of like too much electrolytes not enough hydration too much hydration not enough electrolytes uh, too much of both not enough of both and they would kind of tell you all these symptoms but some of them involve not wanting any food i don't hmm. know which is which but anyway so i was just kind of there and and once i started eating some some hummus stuff because i had packed some extra stuff just in case um smartly i guess and ended up eating that and that really helped me but um you know that i'm trying to think what are like the big things i did i did write a little list of like what went right and wrong um which is good like i told you this earlier doug like i'm not really the type to do that it's kind of the first time <laughs> that so it's good i mean i think having a race that's as scary as a hundred miler for me uh is doing some good stuff for me and making me kind of pay attention to stuff and uh just you know just be more mindful of what's going on so so, how did your legs hold up? Uh, my legs were were good. I wore compression sleeves on them the whole time. Not the compression, not the full compression socks, but just the sleeves that have no foot. Okay. And uh, my legs did not hurt at all. I had no leg pain. Like remarkably less, um, like any you know knee pain by the end of like. Because I remember in Vermont when I did the fifty miler there, by like forty miles in, any slight downhill was just torture on my knees. It would just like, it just felt. They just were so sore, and not like injury sore, but just just so tired of being beaten up. Right. Um, I didn't have that at all this time, and maybe it was because of fewer hills, but my feet kind of got to me, and and not blisters. I I told you I had no blisters at all, which was really great. I didn't, I've never done that at all. Um, so no blisters, but my feet were like they just were killing me from the pounding, and that and it was kind of softer trails and grass and not very much road. So I don't know what the problem with that was, but I think. Perhaps it, that I need new shoes. I, I like all my shoes are are several months, if not years old, and uh, <laughs> like I don't I don't know why I just haven't gotten new ones. But so, so not a different type of shoe, just a, a newer version of your shoe. Were you running in the in the in the Brooks? The no, I didn't run in those. Those I I can do about seven miles in those, and if I do any more than that, my calves give me some problems. And I still okay. I still love them so much. It's just I just love running, and then they feel I don't know what it is. It's just I just enjoy my run so much more when I wear them. But um, so I'm really trying to stick with them and, and get to the point where I can do more. But for some reason, my calves get really tight the next day if I do any more than seven or eight miles in them. So I am. Uh, I wore a couple of shoes. There were some Merrill shoes uh, that I've just they had sent me some a long time ago, and I hadn't really had a chance to write about them or anything because I haven't done all that much trail running. So I wore those, alternated them with the New Balance 890s and uh, my old trail shoes, the Addy Zero Adidas shoes. So I just kind of, you know, rotated them, but I think they were, I think none of them was really new enough to be good cushioning. And then another, another shoe thing, which we talked about earlier, Doug, are these Hoka's, and it seems like they're called Hoka 1-1 or Hoka 
One, One, I don't know if there's a <laughs> consensus on the pronunciation. I think there's actually some sort of argument about what it is. Oh, really? I just assumed they were 1-1, one, one, but... Yeah, but they're French, so... It, so oh, yeah, okay. I, th- I think it was on uh, I Run Far. I was reading someone's... Oh, you know, it was Brian Powell um, interviewing the guy you emailed me about saying he wore them. Who was that? Carl Metzler? Or yeah, something? yeah. So I think I think Brian emailed or Brian interviewed him in like a video or audio interview and, and people in the comments were saying he pronounced it wrong and not nah, who knows. But anyway, for those who don't know, and I didn't know before this, they are just these crazy looking gigantic shoes. They're they're the opposite of minimalist. Um and they say that right on their website. Like when the running world was going the direction of, of minimalists, they are they are going the opposite way. So they're like these inch thick soles at least. And I mean, how how else? They're they're kind of wider than. Yeah, they're they're wide. They kind of they look like they rock a little bit, you know, kind of like instead of landing flat, you kind of rock. Um, right, like the Newton maybe style. Yeah, yeah, kind of like the Newton. Um, I don't know. They're they're just they look like you're wearing kind of like rafts on your feet. Yeah, or like moon shoes or something. Or like shoes, some weird, yeah. sort of, you know, they look like you'd have little trampolines and then like those things kids used to wear. Uh huh. Um, but people, you know, tons of people wore them. Like, like maybe I'm, maybe I'm exaggerating, but it seemed to me like 50% of the people running the 24 hour wow. of this race had them. So I guess they're really, really popular. And I've heard people say someone in the comments of that, my post about this race before I had done it, uh, said was talking with someone else in the comments and said, I like to also put those on in the second half of an ultra or something. So I get the sense people do that and, and like them. You know, either for the whole ultra or for at least the second half, and they make trail versions and they make road versions and all kinds of things. And they're even though the sole is really really big, they the the drop between heel and toe is like there were some models it was like four and a half millimeters, and then most seem to be more like six or six and a half. So even though they are not at all a minimalist shoe, it was kind of nice. I thought that they still had this sort of small uh, offset. Right. So I don't know. I'm thinking seriously about getting them. I, they look ridiculous, and uh, that actually is a deterrent for me. But <laughs> it probably should. And they're also expensive, like $150. Ooh. Or that, that was the cheapest model too. Huh. But I think I'm gonna give them a try and just see what happens. And then running them obviously a lot beforehand. And uh, and my race is a hundred miler is like a lot of it is road. So I'm trying to find something that's a hybrid issue. And they do have something that that would serve well as a hybrid issue. So I don't know. I'm gonna give it a try. Yeah. See how. Yeah. It goes. One one of the guys I actually did this weekend trip with uh, wore them the whole time, and he, you know, he, I think he just saw them at an ultra like you did, and uh, was having some foot troubles and decided to buy them. And he just loves them. He raves about them all the time. Yeah, so, and then and then you told me about this guy Carl Metzer, and I don't I don't follow that much ultra running. Um, I mean, I do a little bit, but not not seriously at all. So apparently, he's won. You told me more races in the. In the U.S. than anybody else. Any more 100 milers than anybody oh, else. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and he and he swears by them. It seems like he uses them for most races. Yeah. And and I can I thought they were sort of like as I mentioned they were kind of like a I thought they were like a gimmick like a you know, something that was designed to help people kind of cheat their way through an ultra like help people who really didn't know what they were doing just go out there and get it done. Um, being you know being horrible for your form and your speed and all this stuff but right. it sounds like that's not the case and they just they look weird but they're a lot of people like them so yeah i don't know i think i'm gonna at least try them i don't know that i'll actually wear them in the race but um 
I'm always up for fooling around with something new and sure. Out, so I'm gonna so, do that. So what was the what was the vibe of this race? You know, it has to be how big was it? Uh, I don't know the exact size. I think it was. It could not have been more than a few hundred people between the the six, twelve, and twenty four hour race. Even that includes relay. Uh, I don't know, maybe maybe two hundred people. Okay. And it's kind of like it was neat. Like the area, the main area that you that you run by every time, like the main where you check in each loop, was like all these tents and things. Because people come ahead of time and and camp out for I think just one night, but they would they would have tent and like so lots of runners had tents set up with. I mean, different stuff in there. I don't know if they had, like, grills or anything, but it seemed like they had, like, lots of amenities going on inside their tents. <laughs> and so, I don't know. And there were a lot of people, like, just maybe they were teammates on uh, on relay teams or something, but it was just, like, a lot of people were, like, lounging around. Someone had a bed that they flew up and had out. Wow. Um, yeah, which is, like, every time people passed it, they, like, there was some comment, of course, about Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't, I have to, wish I could lay down and just stupid stuff. Yeah. But but it was fun. I mean, it was it was definitely a really fun, nice crowd. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. It, it was just interesting. I'd never done any sort of race like this before, and I don't. Yeah, I mean, I'd recommend it. Like, I would I would totally recommend it to someone. People, if there are people who are who are want to do an ultra, but are scared to jump into a fifty or even a fifty k, like pick out a six hour or a twelve hour race, and do that because, like I said, there's so much less pressure. It's not like like the huge fear for me of doing a 50 miler was was how do you possibly go out there when you've only trained up to 30 miles on a long run and how do you go out there and then just and then just trust that you're going to do 50 or mm-hmm. and, and you know either either fail and quit or have a really painful day you know assuming you're going to be in a lot of pain if you're running 20 miles more than you've ever run and this is kind of an alternative to that and you know maybe for some people that defeats the purpose but it would what you could do instead of a instead of a 50 miler is go run a 12 hour race and then you know know that you can just keep going and there's not a finish line and as long as you can get it done in 12 hours you can you can get your 50 done that way and i mean you could even and if you don't want to be out there for 12 hours you could do what i did and and i stopped with with less than you know at not at the full end of the 12 hours but at a point where i didn't think i could get another loop in Right. But I mean, you could you could stop it. You could stop after 50 miles if you did it in 10 hours and it all went well. You could just then then stop or walk or whatever, and do it that way. So it's kind of I don't know. It seems like a lower risk, lower pressure way to do that sort of thing. And similarly for 50k, if you think you're going to be in the five and a half, six and a half hour range, then then a six hour race could work really well for that. So, you had to. I'm sure you passed. You know, you were passing people all day that were the same, you know, the same people. Like, was there a lot of camaraderie out there? I mean, what was, I'm trying to picture what it's like to just <laughs> right. run a loop that long. <laughs> yeah. I mean, surprisingly, I didn't pass many people that much, like, like multiple times. There were, there were a bunch of people who I, I, I mean, I, I was, I ran with a couple of different people for like half a loop or a loop. And, mm-hmm. uh, the guy who I had written in the, in the comments of that post that I written that I had written. He he was there and I we did I saw him. I think I only actually saw him once on the course. Maybe it was twice, but we ran for a little bit together. But it, yeah, you would think you would keep passing people, but I guess I don't know. I'm sure you could figure it out how 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 many times you'll pass somebody per per you know in the race given your different paces. But right. for the most part, it was just like the just like the people who were really slow and like seemed like they were going out there mostly to walk the whole race. You would you pass them a lot. I mean, I passed some people three or four times, but that was really the most. I didn't 
there weren't like tons of people passing me or being passed. Maybe I'm a very average speed for that type of group, so it just kind of uh-huh. um, I was in the middle of the pack. But yeah, it wasn't. I don't know. It just wasn't that that different. There was a lot of like leapfrogging of people because if someone, I guess that might happen in a regular ultra too. But I guess with sure. the aid stations being so close to each other, where they were 1.6 miles away from each other, uh, instead of like most ultras or like most 50s at least, it's it's like five to seven miles for right. the aid stations. So that happened a bit more. Like people who would go hang out at the aid stations and then then be really fast for the next little bit before they stopped at the aid station again. Uh, there was a lot of like seeing them that way over and over just leapfrogging but um yeah i mean i don't know it wasn't as much as like it, it sounds different and and the it sounds my description of it even is making it sound different it didn't really <laughs> feel like it was some weird crazy day it felt like a normal race day to me huh. and i don't know I, i'm kind of the type who doesn't really pay a lot of attention to my surroundings my wife always kind of criticizes or you know just jokingly gets on me for like saying i have no idea where i which is true i have no idea where i am most of the time <laughs> and like with directions i'm just awful and like I, I'm, I'm really worried about getting lost during the hundred miler because I'm just the worst person in the world at at not getting lost basically. But uh, I don't know. With this, I guess because I don't tend to be that aware of where I am. Like I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't get bored at all with the loop. It was just sort of <laughs> you know, like the same as any other time to me. Wow. And and I realized several, you know, maybe fifteen or maybe twelve loops into this thing, I realized I still couldn't really tell you like what was going to happen next on the loop i just didn't really i had done it all these times but i kind of just zoned out i guess and didn't really yeah. it wasn't like i would anticipate what was the next section coming up right. uh, even though they were vastly different from each other so i don't know for that in that way it worked really well for me and by the way i did not have to resort to the podcast very much i i had written before i asked people like what what would be a good one to listen to because i figured there's going to be some boredom and just needing to zone out um the the problem I realized is that everyone suggested all these sort of heady smart podcasts, which which I like and, and that's cool. Like people like Freakonomics and um, I can't remember the other names, but I I downloaded a bunch of them, the TED Talk ones and some others. But I so I downloaded a bunch, had them all ready to go, and most of the time was like, there's no way I can listen to something that requires me to actually think now. I mean, you know how it is. You get to that point where like. Right. All you want – it's hard to listen to something that – it's like listening to something in-depth and like complicated actually makes everything seem so much harder. So uh-huh. I ended up just putting on um, this pod, this you know the Sports Junkies, Doug? They're like a DC yep. radio group. Um, I've been listening to them for some – on and off for like 10, 12 years or something since college really. Okay. Um, and it's about the dumbest possible thing you can listen to. <laughs> so, um, so that – I put that on for about – Eh, maybe an hour and a half or two hours and listen to that and hey, that worked well and then i then i ran into this guy sean who um had told me not to listen to podcasts basically in the comments um so i saw him stop listening and started talking to him and that was the end so it was it worked really well but i do have all those podcasts that everyone suggested still and they're on there for me to listen to for other runs and i totally plan to do that nice yeah and then, and then uh so one more question uh huh? Were you at 12 hours? You must have been running in the dark at some point, right? Yes, but not. I don't know. I guess I stopped running at 9:15. Okay, so it wasn't pitch black. No, it was not pitch black. It was getting dark, but I had my headlamp and it was it was fine. Like you could, without the headlamp, it would have been hard to see stuff for sure. But I didn't really get the experience of running. I mean, I've done I've done nighttime trail runs before, so I've I kind of know what it's like already. It won't be a total shock to me. 
But I, I, you know, I did have that thought. I was like, what if this, what if, what if I wasn't, what if this wasn't my last loop? And I had, and I knew I had like 20 or 30 more miles to go through this or whatever, six more hours of this. And, and that scared me. That was kind of like, I don't know how I'm going to quite deal with that yet. <laughs> I don't right. know. But the, the, the solution that popped in my head was, well, then go faster in the hundreds so that you aren't still out there. <laughs> when, like, or let's like, you only have a couple hours or like you're at a point where as soon as it gets dark, you know, you only have three hours left and like I, like that i could handle but unfortunately i don't think it's gonna go quite that well um based on this experience but anyway i don't know it's it it'll be fun um i'm not overly worried about the hundred i kind of it was odd like i at mile 35 when i was not doing well i was like i had that feeling that that we've talked about before that you often get where it's kind of like what am i doing like how am i possibly going to do more than this how am i gonna run 100 miles when when after 35 i'm like dead um but i kind of like talked myself out of that and and convinced myself that i really did start way too fast and that if i were to start a strategy of you know having some walk breaks on early early even on not hills but like apparently 25 minutes running to five minutes walking is a pretty common strategy um you know i've said maybe i'll just sort of do that sort of thing and amazingly like the next day after this race i was really really excited about the hundred even though it was hard and nice yeah and and often that's not the case like often after something like this it takes me a week or so to really start even wanting to think about running again but the next day like like i said i put all these notes down and i looked up the hundred race and looked up what all the aid stations are and all this stuff and i don't know i just i got a good kind of confident feeling about it that i can do it one thing though before we get into yours and i do want to do that soon um is an interesting thing that, you know, I'm hoping maybe someone will chime in with an answer. I've done some internet research on it, but apparently pacing for a hundred miler, if you want to break 24 hours, and I assume this, a similar thing goes for any time goal, you, you don't run the first half in that same, in, in half of that amount of time. Like with a marathon or half marathon, you always talk about negative splits or just at least even splits. Like you want to, you want to run the half, you want to run half of it, the first half in the same amount of time as it takes you to run the second half. Yeah. Okay. If not, if not, run the second half faster. Well, for a hundred miler, apparently, if you want to be done in twenty four hours, they say what you need to do is, for most of them, finish the first half in ten to ten and a half hours. Mm. Which, which is like, it seems ridiculous to me that you would, that that would be the best way to pace a race. I mean, it seems like that's that would be kind of setting yourself up, not to, to not at all, pay twenty four right. hours, like just to make a disaster of a race. But um, I talked to someone on the course about it, and he said that he had done it, and that the rationale was that if you do your first 50 miles in 10 hours, then you can do the second 50 miles. You can basically walk the next 50 in 14 hours. He said you can walk 50 miles in 14 hours. And first of all, that sounds like awful. I mean, I can't imagine <laughs> doing that. It just sounds like a horrible 14 hours. Right. But – I don't know, and it would also be like a 17 or 16, 16 to 17 minute walk or mile, minutes per mile walk, which is not a stroll. Like that's that's kind of moving for a walk, especially on trails. So I'm not sure that I like that strategy, and I would certainly hope that that there will be plenty of running in the second half of my hundred, even if even if like the last, I don't know, the last 20 miles are are largely walking. I don't know. It's but it's. I'm just one. I'd like to know if anyone wants to comment or email me or whatever or Twitter or whatever, what they know about this. Like, is that is that really the way to to do it? I mean, I think I think the idea is that no matter how slow you start, 
your legs and the pain and, the, and all the other stuff that happens, like blisters and food issues, that stuff is going to make you slow down. Oh, in the dark, of course, that you're going to slow down during that second half no matter what. So if you want to get your, you know, if you want to hit your goal, then you need to plan for that and you need to be ahead of time. So Build the cushion. Yeah, that, and that's how it is. And I, I look, I Googled this, and it's you can find information. Like there are like different strategies, and they talk about that idea of building a really, really solid cushion. The things that I looked up online said like the people who generally were what I guess what someone did was looked at a bunch of finish times in ultras and then a bunch of 50 mile corresponding 50 mile splits and figured out that most of the people who who finished in 24 hours they figured out what their splits were and figured out what the average one was of someone who did succeed at breaking 24 hours and it was something it wasn't quite as extreme as what i just described this 10 to 10 and a half hours it was a little bit past that and he said it seemed that people had slightly more success if they didn't didn't go out quite so hard and and you know did the walk breaks from early on and uh you know kind of kind of took their time but still not nearly an even split and I looked up, I just did the same thing basically for Burning River, which is going to be my hundred, and uh, looked at like the historical times and all that. And, and it, it was people were, were people who finished in, in like the 23 to 24 hour range were running the first half anywhere between nine and 11 hours. Wow. So, yeah. So there's definitely some, but I mean, remember 11 hours isn't that far ahead of pace because then it's just 12 hours would be halfway. So over and over 50 miles, you have to remember that too. You know, it's not like a. Right, a marathon, or... right, exactly. So, I don't know. That's that's one of many things that I have now to think about and wonder about how I'm going to do it. But I I just have a good feeling about it, um, and that that could be completely, you know, off. There could be no real reason for me to have a good feeling, and I'm not going to know how it is until 40 miles into that race, I guess, when when the pain would start and when the slowing would start, and right, you know, there's not. I'm not going to know till then. But for now, it I don't know. I feel good about it. I don't feel terrified of it. I still have eight weeks to go, and I feel kind of good that I got this 50-miler in, or 52 miles, really. No, 53 almost. Uh, that I got it in so far ahead of time when, in the program, it, that wouldn't be until four or five weeks out you would do that. So I feel like in some way I kind of got ahead of the game here, and I'm obviously not going to do another 50-mile race in between now and then. But, you know, I may try to do a 50K and then maybe the next day do 15 miles or something and just kind of... Get something else that sort of replicates the the feeling and sure I don't know so yeah so I have I have a lot to work on for sure but uh for for my time being or for my miles run in this race being not what I had hoped um I, you know I'm really viewing it as not a failure it really did not feel like I failed in what I had hoped to accomplish which which really was to rehearse everything and think about things for this race right. so uh, I feel like I feel much better prepared for that hundred in a way uh, even though even though I didn't get in nearly 100k like I had hoped in this one. Well, that's great, man. And uh, and it's still the furthest you've ever run, so that's something to be excited about. <laughs> that's true. I was thinking about that. And I was thinking, like, I was just thinking what percentage of the population has run 50 miles. And I thought, by just going one mile more than that, <laughs> you, you get into this higher echelon, because like, you leave all those people behind. Who, who so, did just do the 50 milers, so right. you left me behind, Matt. Exactly. So I was thinking after this hundred, if I can just kind of muster another mile, to do that somewhere. Like how many people in their lives have run more than a hundred miles? Not, not many. No, you're right. <laughs> so, I don't know. It seems a good way to get into elite status. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be there at the finish line waiting for you to do that extra mile. Okay. <laughs> if you like all down in race position, like really yeah, man. come on, man, let's go. <laughs> all right, excellent.
So um, that's that's more than enough about my race. So let's uh, let's go into yours, Doug. I, I'm really anxious to hear about it. Why don't you just sort of give us? I mean, you already gave us the, the little overview, but I want to hear how it went. Like what what kind of pace did you do? Um, what did you you mentioned kind of what you did after each one, but I want to hear how you recovered and and just just the whole thing. So go ahead and start, and then I'll ask you some questions once once you've once sure. you've gone into it a bit. Sounds great. So um, so the plan was kind of born out of this idea of uh, a friend of mine is training for Leadville, um, one of the guys that I went out with, and uh, he wanted to do kind of an epic back-to-back or, you know, double run or whatever they call it, where you run, you know, 30 miles one day and go out and run 20 miles the next, something like that. And so we were playing around with this idea, and, um, and then we were like, well, maybe we should just make it even longer and, you know, incorporate some hiking and, you know, so it's not as, as hard, hard hardcore is running 30 miles and then running 20 miles. Uh, but we're kind of going out for these day long stints. Um, there's Shenandoah national park is right a couple hours out from DC and, um, the length of it is 102 miles. And we thought that it'd kind of be this perfect little adventure, um, for Memorial day weekend. So we, um, we sat down with some maps and, uh, just kind of looked at where, um, the park has these, the, they call them wayside, waysides, and it's basically just uh, camp stores slash gas stations that are along the the Skyline Drive, which is the extension of the Blue Ridge Parkway. Mm-hmm. And you know they have a little grill where you can get hamburgers and grilled cheese and I don't know uh, milkshakes or I don't know weird things like that. And then um, you know and then other other like junk food chips and soft drinks and stuff like that. So, uh, so we basically just mapped it out to where we would, um, end each night, um, end each day with a, at one of these waysides so that we could, um, get some food and, um, kind of replenish. Then we didn't have to carry camping stoves and nearly as much food as we would if we were just, you know, doing your typical backpacking trip where you're carrying all your, all your food with you. Right. Right. So, so that kind of helped us to, you know, uh, cut back a little bit on the weight, but we really did. I mean, we were carrying everything. So we had, and, you know, and I've done quite a bit of backpacking and I've definitely never been this light before. I never, you know, I've always, I'm, I'm the kind of backpacker who likes to throw in extra food to cook, you know, like a really nice meal or maybe right. a little, you know, some wine or something like that, you know, and there was none of that, <laughs> none of that this time. Beer no. uh, though, I hope, right? Yeah, uh, well, you know, they they sell beer at the way station. So. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. <laughs> so that worked out. Good. Um, yeah, but so uh, we we had um, a sleeping pad and a sleeping bag, but none of us carried a tent, so we were sleeping under the stars. Just kind of found a nice little wooded wow. spot and laid down our pads and and bags and just slept out under the stars, which worked out really well. I was a little nervous about that because I'd never done that before, and um, it was it was really nice. You know, it was nice to have the breeze and. Yeah, you know, honestly, I was so so tired that it didn't really matter where I was. Yeah, right, I was right. asleep, but um, uh, and and then you know a few layers, and that was about it. Wore the same pair of running clothes all three days, um, and then a pair of trail shoes, and we I carried a a thirty liter pack, which is a pretty small backpacking backpack. Okay. And you know, cinched it down pretty tight on the back, and. Um, I never run, I've run with, you know, the hydration vests and things like that, but I've never run with any sort of pack before. So I didn't know how it would ride. And, and we kind of just set out with the intention to hike when we needed to hike the hills and run the flats and the downhill and just kind of see what happens. We weren't sure how fast we would go. And we ended up going a lot slower throughout the weekend than, um, 
we did when we first started, of course. But right. um, but you know, we woke up Saturday morning and with the sun, and we're logging about four miles an hour, okay. um, which uh, felt pretty good on that pace or on those trails. Um, the AT through that section isn't incredibly technical, but it does have quite a bit of elevation gain. Um, up and down, you're tagging a bunch of uh, the peaks throughout the park, oh, right. and um, so there was there was quite a bit of uh, you know climbing, and then you'd have a steep descent, and then you'd climb. So the first day, we did about 36 miles, um, and ended at the highest point in the park, um, up to this little wayside called Skyland, which is they actually have cabins up there and stuff too. So kind of a neat little place, and had a nice dinner um, of I think I had like French fries and. I don't know, like a veggie pizza or something. <laughs> That's <laughs> your nice dinner. <laughs> well, you know, there wasn't, there weren't that many options for, uh, right, for for me. But um, uh, yeah, no, it was, <laughs> it was good. It filled me up and lifted the spirits. You know, I was, I was wiped. It was, uh, so we left it like we got up about, got on the trail about six thirty a.m. and um, stopped around like five o'clock p.m. So that included some long lunch breaks and. That was every you know, day? Every day was that? Uh, just, well, no, that was the first day. The second day, we got up and got started about the same time, but we we hit a, a wayside around lunchtime. Um, or it was really just, it was a campground that had um, no grill or anything like that, but had uh, had some chips and stuff. And so we got we got some potato chips, and um, we're sitting there, and, and I just kind of relaxed for a while and closed my eyes for a few minutes and got way behind. And it wasn't until... Uh, <laughs> We were um, we were about ten miles away from the end. We knew it was going to be the longest day. Uh, that we realized we had to get to. They quit serving food at the place we were supposed to have dinner at six o'clock, and um, and and we were ten miles away. And that would have been it. Would have been you know pushing it um, for us to reach it. So we all just kind of took off and split up, and no one knew how far the other person was up ahead and who was going to make it. And that was, <laughs> that was, that would have been if we had, we not made it to dinner. Cause all we, all we were carrying was I had goose, uh, a couple cliff bars and, um, some dates and that was it. So, you know, if we didn't have food for dinner, there's just no way we could have continued on. Yeah. For, right. For, you know, I mean, after running 40, 42 miles. Wow. Um, so, but we, we all kind of rolled in right before, right before the way station closed and um, were able to so we loaded up on some stuff. But, it, you know, we just felt awful. I, that, that was definitely the low point was um, coming out, uh, realizing how far we were <laughs> <laughs> and how quickly we needed to get there or it would be done. And um, Yeah. yeah. Did, it feel, so did it feel like, I mean, 40 miles is still a ton of running. Like any other, like any... I don't know. You think about going out for a 20 mile run, and that's significant. So 40 miles on trails is like, yeah, I mean, it's way more than most people will ever do in a day. Right. Did it did it feel like that, or was it like because it was kind of a hiking or whatever you what was your name for it? Fast packing. Fast fast packing. Yeah. yeah. So like, did that make it feel like it wasn't like running an ultra 40 miles, or did it, or was it just every bit as hard? You yeah. Know I mean? you, know, you know, I mean, I I think it was honestly, I think it was every bit as hard. There was. There was less pressure, you know, every time I've run an ultra, it's been for time, you know, and, and I've never gone out to try to win a race or something like that, but I've always kind of, you know, been, I'd like to break 10 hours on a 50 or I'd like to, yeah. you know, be competitive with myself. Um, and so there was none of that, which was nice. So, 
you know, so we had, you know, all day basically to run the 40 miles and we could do that as, as leisurely as we wanted to. And that meant stopping at overlooks and, you know, being a little, mm-hmm. I don't know, a little slower than you would have if you were in an ultra, which was good. But you also had this, you know, 15, 20 pound pack on your back, which right. changed everything. And it, and I didn't, was not expecting that. So that was definitely a lesson learned is, um, <clears throat> the, the extra weight on the back just made a huge difference. Hmm. Um, both right. on my, on my knees, on my legs. And, um, you know, just kind of, it felt like I just had this heavy thing that I was lugging around. Um, so I think it was probably partly mental, but. Yeah, I mean, it was tough. I remember the first day when we got to the place, um, I was the first one there and um, kind of sat down in the in a shady spot and I could just feel that awful feeling. I don't know if you got it, but when I when I stop running after like a 50, um, I get kind of queasy and a little, you know, shaky and cold, you know, I don't yep. know, just, you just feel awful. And I definitely had that feeling. So it wasn't, wasn't like I'd just gone for a long hike. It was like I had, right, right. you know, spent the you know, as much energy and, you know, and it was probably about 50, 50, we were probably running about half the time and hiking about half the time. So it was, it was way more walking, hiking than, you know, I would have done in a race. Um, right. But overall the pace was, you said 15 minutes per mile. Um, for the first day and a half, the third day was a lot slower than that. Okay. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I mean, that, that was kind of the goal was four, four miles an hour. Um, right. You know, three and a half if we were doing a lot of climbing or something like that. So, which is very close to um, 100 mile pace, as we as because we just to give people some sort of reference. Right. Um, that would be you know four miles an hour gives you 25 hours for 100. So if you wanted to go for 24 hours, then then there you go. Right. Okay. So well, that's good. Similar. You know, so, yeah. So in and you know it, 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 and no pack. pace and no pack, but you know, <laughs> right. but all in one push. You know? Yep. Um. So you know, but. That going that pace, you're you're rarely out of breath, you know. So it's not like you're going on a really hard run, right? right. But you're always, you know. My mantra for the weekend was was move with a purpose, you know, because every time I'd find myself kind of slowly walking or running with, you know, way slower than I needed to, I had to, you know, kind of remind myself that, you know, you've got to cover this ground. You have to move with a purpose, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know, and that didn't mean running six seven minute miles. You know, that meant running fifteen minute miles, or uh, you know, but it. it when you were hiking, you couldn't just leisurely walk. You were, you know, you had to swiftly right. hike up that hill. Sure. You know, like, kind of like what you were saying. Is that, you know, if you had 14 hours, you could hike 50 miles, but that's not a s- slow hike. That's, you know, that's moving yeah. fairly right. quickly. Right. So, And how how did it feel? You mentioned that you slowed down the next day. Like, I, the, by the third day of that, it just seems to me, like, I can't imagine running. You know, I, mean, I know what it feels like to run a 20-miler and then a 15-miler, but that's that's about the extent of my back-to-back training has you know has gotten to so far uh, right. and it, w- it will get a little bit beyond that with the rest with the next few weeks for me but i'm just wondering like by the third day of doing what what was it what was your minimum that you did on a day uh the third day was 22 miles yeah so like when you started out that morning or like an hour or two into that i mean were you just like dead or or had you did you hit some point where like all of a sudden it everything kind of evened out and you just you were just right. cruising along yeah, you know, I was really surprised by that, and that was probably the biggest surprise um, of the trip was how well I was able to recover, and all three of us felt the same way, how well we were able to recover each day. You know, we woke up and, um, you know, felt really sore and kind of stiff, you know, and you had to take a few minutes to 
stretch it out and mm-hmm. um you know that kind of thing and and when you first started running it was painful and you're you know felt really unnatural um but after you know a half hour your legs were loose again and um I, you know, I, I felt really great. I was really surprised at how well um, my body recovered uh, each day. And the third day, you know, I was definitely moving slower. And, and I was, you know, was, my quads were sore and that kind of thing. So I was hiking a little slower. And um, it happened to be one of the tougher days as far as elevation goes. And so, you know, I was I was just moving a little slower there. But um, in general, it was, it was, it went pretty well. Yeah, that wasn't something that I was surprised at how, how, um, how the legs kind of work themselves out. Right. And you're not still friends with the other guys, right? Obviously, I mean, after three days. Of that. <laughs> yeah. We, we pretty much hate each other this time. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, cool. so, uh, yeah, no, 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 we had, we had a really good time. And it was, it was nice. Um, we spent most of it not together, I would say. We would meet about every 10 miles. Um, oh, we only right. had okay. one way to purify water. So it was kind of, uh, we kind of needed to meet up every, every so often. Uh, but we didn't really run together all that much. And I think, it just happened, you know, when when you're going for that long and for those that many miles, you know, you're just going at different paces. Sometimes you have to sit down for a little bit and or you have to hike up a hill and the other person can run. And um, yeah, so we split up. But it was, you know, it was kind of nice. So plenty of alone time. But then we also, you know, I mean, we were done by nine o'clock most nights and nothing to do. So we just kind of sat around and chatted and it was, it was fun. Interesting. That's that is very. I don't know. It sounds. It sounds uh, I'm not sure this was the, that's just part of the appeal, but it sounds incredibly hard and, <laughs> and not fun. But then, but then, like you know, when you say it that way, it kind of sounds like it it is fun. I'm sure, and I'm sure looking back, it's more fun than it maybe was while you're actually doing it. But right. So so you had when you said water purifying that that was interesting. You like you don't have I figured there were like water pumps or something that you would at least get every now so i mean were you were you guys not carrying any water at all just just filling up in streams and purifying and then moving on to the next well we had um you know i had a a liter and a half uh nathan um well like a you know like a little camel pack kind of thing that i put inside my pack um and you know every time we'd stop at one of those waysides or something like that then we could fill up with purified water so that was nice um but throughout the you know throughout the trail there is no there are no water pumps like that so yeah, we had to, you know, use streams and, and springs and mm-hmm. purify the water there. So we'd fill up our bottles and um, our, you know, our, our vests and, or, you know, whatever they are. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and that, you know, that kind of worked well. Yeah, in, in hindsight, I, we would bring, I think we would all carry some sort of water purification because um, okay. there were, at one point, we all ran out of water when we didn't want to be out of water and we when we were alone. Yeah. Um, you know, and that, that's just a horrible feeling when you don't have any water and you're hot and you have long miles to go. Yeah. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. So what about, um, phones, no phones? We brought our phones, uh, no service in most places, but, uh, was able to kind of check in with, with home, um, check in on four square check. In, yeah, exactly. I had to, mm-hmm. you know, I had to tweet my whereabouts. Right. <laughs> of course. Wouldn't be a, wouldn't be a hiking trip in the wilderness, right? Exactly. If you couldn't tweet, no. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I actually I didn't get on. I didn't check email or do anything like that. But uh, um, I I I was able to to text him every every evening. Okay. Uh, so that was good. Good. And then coffee. Any anybody coffee in the morning? Some sort of crazy like you know percolating thing or Aer- Aeropress. I guess you have no way of heating it, right? 
Right. No way of heating it. So that was a real problem. And that, you know, I'm a big coffee drinker. And, <laughs> right. and I, you know, it was a big concern of mine. And I almost carried a stove just for that purpose. And I'm glad I didn't because everything that I carried that I wish I didn't have, um, I was just cursing by the end of the trip. Um, Did you, are you, are you an everyday coffee drinker? I'm I'm like a everyday three cup of coffee drinker. Oh really? Okay. So did you did you stop uh, drinking it before this? No. <laughs> no. No. Um. I uh. Well, anytime we would pass a place where I could buy it, I, I bought it. Um. Even no matter what time it was. So even like one day we passed a place at like three o'clock, and I was able to get some coffee. Okay. Um, and you know I got it then and. So no uh, headaches or anything. I did have. I also took a Red Bull one day. One morning I. Oh, okay. I I had a Red Bull, which is, I'm not a Red Bull drinker at all, um, and I hate the things, but I, I just really wasn't sure what was going to happen, so um, I did that, and that helped, and I only did that once, because it also didn't make me feel very good, but... Um. <laughs> Makes you realize, like, it is a true actual addiction to coffee, like, you right. have to actually bring a canister of something <laughs> with you to drink. Something that you don't believe in, and you don't <laughs> like. <laughs> yeah, I, you'd rather go with that than with nothing yeah. at all. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. And food, you know, I, um, we, you know, we had a, we had the one big meal a day, um, and, you know, I ate a lot of of gummies. I've never had that many, uh, like, you know, cliff cliff blocks. Um, right. And one weekend before, and you know, I'll tell you, it did not work very well with my stomach. Come day three, uh, I was not feeling very good. Interesting. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I, I, I mean, after after a couple hours of those things, I start to have problems. So. Mhm. Cool. Well, that, that that sounds fun, Doug. Um, my question for you is, I just thought of it, but I'm gonna put you on the spot. What did you, what was it? What did you learn about yourself? Oh. I just I just figured I'd throw that one at you. Um. Well, you know, <laughs> uh, this is gonna sound a little cheesy. All right. <laughs> it's kind of a cheesy question, so or, or a question that that yes, lends cra- itself craves. Cheesy. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So, uh, Katie, my fiance, was at a uh, at a wedding shower that weekend, um, and uh, I was off in the woods, you know, by myself, and I was um, or not by myself, but spending a lot of time by myself, and and kind of in this in in and out of this really low point, you know, where you're where you're struggling along, and the demons are there, and um, you know, I, I think it, I really appreciated, I like to think of myself as a, as someone who likes to spend time alone and, you know, anyone who runs altars probably does to some extent. Um, but it made me really appreciate the people in my life because I was thinking a lot about her and just a lot about my family and everybody coming up and leading up to the wedding and, um, all my family was with her, my mom and my sister and everything. And, um, I don't know, it just made me really appreciate, I learned, uh, that, how much I rely on those people and how much I need those people, um, in my life. Mm-hmm. Good. Very nice. Glad you said that. How's that? Not a good answer. <laughs> that's, that's more than I could have hoped for. <laughs> oh, good. You too, Matt. I, I realized how much I needed you and, uh... well, Of course, yeah. <laughs> how much you need this podcast and, like... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, good. And, oh, last thing I wanted to ask you about it is, uh, your, you kept up your running streak, right? So you ran the next day after all this stuff? <laughs> I did, yeah. No, I've kept it up. Um, I did not too much running last week. I ran every day, but no more than the longest run was two and a half miles. I, you know, my toes really took the biggest beating out of everything and um, had some pretty nasty blisters by the end of day three. Just could hardly stand putting on running shoes. 
Not not wow. for that mental thing, but because it hurts so bad. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um. So maybe you need bigger shoes. Could that be? Uh, you know, that's what everyone tells me. And everyone that's like the big thing now. Everyone's all into like, I'm mean, not not just. I mean, not like I've read it plenty of times now from like lots of like Phil Moffatone and and the other uh, Stu Middleman. Those the guys who are like, I don't know. I guess they're more old school ultra running types. Uh huh. And they're like they say get like humongous shoes. Like they say, they say get. Keep trying on shoes until like go up a half a size at a time until until it looks funny that you it looks like you have gigantic shoes on that are like a joke <laughs> and then they say go down to the previous half size that you were at before that and they say that's what you should be doing and not it just seems so weird but a lot of people and and more like people who I just somehow I trust a little bit more like I don't I don't know if Scott Jurek said it but people you know if people are into big running shoes now and they say leave plenty of room for your toes and mm. What about those uh, in Gingy socks? You ever wear those? I do, and and I wore them uh, for this trip. Which uh, and I I've really I just started wearing those um, in the past couple months, and I really like them, and I think that they definitely helped. But you know, I think that these blisters were not necessarily from rubbing, but probably you know it was more like the toenails and blister underneath your toenail kind of thing, um, and probably had more to do with the pounding. You know, I mean, big shoes probably would have helped. I don't know. I feel goofy yeah. running in those things because I feel like I'm gonna trip over everything. Yeah. You gotta and, do the uh, Marshall Ulrich, the uh, toenail removal thing. Yeah, no, that's, that's not gonna happen. No. Although, although, you know, if I keep doing these things, they're just gonna remove themselves. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, they're uh, it's tough, and I I don't know, and the the shoe thing is just one of the you know, like you're, I'm sure you're thinking about with the Hoka One Ones, you know, they're expensive, so you hate to have like not like them you know you hit to buy a shoe that's just too big that you're never gonna wear you know because shoes are expensive sure but yeah you're right about that but you can always write a blog review about it and then that's and true then, then you get at least a post out of it <laughs> <laughs> that's true tax right off <laughs> yeah um before we go speaking of, this is just sort of a random thing but i just thought of it um when i mentioned marshall Ulrich because he is in that you know that movie uh about bad water called running on the sun mm-hmm. you heard of that it, I've been wanting to watch it for a long time, but it, you could only get it like if you ordered it physically or got the physical Netflix. It was never online anywhere, and I just happened to Google it the other day, and it's on YouTube right now for free. I sense maybe illegally, oh. so I don't think it'll be there for long. So I've been watching it for the past few nights, and I would suggest not not the whole thing over and over, but you know <laughs> half an hour at a time. Is um, it broken up into different videos or? No, I think there was an ad in it that YouTube just kind of automatically puts into things that are of a certain length but uh you know it's just just one video i think if you just if you just google running on the sun youtube you'll find it hmm. and uh anyway just a little heads up so people listening if you want to watch that without buying it now's the time excellent <laughs> another good one is uh what's it called Doug? i think i think you may have seen it maybe not the western states one. Oh, unbreakable uh-huh. yeah unbreakable yep. yeah i have that one i've been watching that too uh that's also good but not not available for free i don't think Right, no, I think you have to buy that one as well. Yeah, but that's good. Good, just good ultra running things. If you're, if if this conversation or because we tend to, for some reason, we tend to talk about ultra running on this podcast more, way more than I do on the blog, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why, but you know, if if that thing's if those if that's interesting to you, those are two good uh, good places to start. And I don't know, good books. Scott Jurek has a good book called Eat and Run about ultra running. I mentioned Marshall Ulrich or Ulrich, I don't know how to say it, but he has one about running across the country. 
uh, I do not remember the name right now, but but that I enjoyed that one. Have you read read uh, Dean's book, uh, Ultramarathon Man? No, I have not. Somehow I got the sense that that was like, I think I got the sense that he was like super commercialized and everyone didn't like him. And I was I kind of had the sense that it wouldn't be good, but someone someone recommended it to me. Have you read it? I have. I read it right when I you know right when I first got into. Well, really, I was—I hadn't run in Austria yet. It was, you know, the idea. I was the—the uh, the idea was really appealing, and I really liked it. You know, he's a—he's, you know, I think he had is the commercialized ultra runner, if there is one. Um, but you know, I mean, he's done some crazy things, and he's an inspiring guy. Yeah, and I mean, people make fun of that, but he won what he won Batterer like seven times or something, which is right, pretty amazing if you. And some people consider Badwater to be kind of gimmicky, I guess, among ultras. Like, it's just sort of like... I mean, ultra running used to be that way, too. But right. it's, it's sort of like... It's not... To me, it seems like the coolest ultra to win and run. But to most people, I don't think that's the case. I think they sort of think of it as kind of a... Just sort of different thing. Right. <laughs> um, and while, while we're on the topic of, like, ultra running books and things... this I meant to actually suggest to you, Doug, particularly, but everyone as well... Uh, the book, The Longest Race... By Ed, I think his name is Ayers, A-Y-R-E-S. He's the, he was the founder or one of the founders of Running Times. He's like 70 years old now, but he's he's done a lot of great stuff in his life. And he he was basically trying to set, I think set the set the over 60 year old record in the JFK 50 miler. But the whole book is uh, kind of a he uses this metaphor, this race and ultra running in general as a metaphor for like like sustainability of our species on our planet and kind of you know just draws the the comparison between endurance for a race and endurance for a civilization and uh it, you know it's really interesting like if you have any he's, he's a vegetarian which he doesn't write about too much in the book but he does mention it once but um you know if you have any interest in like sustainability and environmental type stuff and also ultra running at the same time or any kind of running really um it's a really really good book i would highly recommend you check it out hmm. Uh, it's called The Longest Race, and I just read it. I don't actually know if it's out yet, but I'm not sure that I will write a full, like, review about it just because I don't – I don't know. I don't really like writing full reviews about books. I don't really know what to say. But <laughs> um, I might, like, put, like, a – I don't know. I was thinking about doing, like, a many books post, like, write about five or six books that I've been reading and put them all up. But anyway, in case I don't, it's it's a great one. Um, so check it out. It, uh, it looks like it is out, so you can buy it. Oh, it is? Okay. Good. Yeah. So there you go. Buy it through our affiliate link. Yeah. <laughs> no, actually, I don't. I don't think we will make it one. But anyway. All right, Doug. So that's that's kind of all that I had planned for us today, and I think we've gone now well over an hour, which is um, about where we try to end them usually. So, anything else to talk about that, today? I think that's it. Uh, it's great to hear about your race, and you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what uh, what the next eight weeks. You know, bring for you as you're finishing up your training for the 100. Yeah, thank you. I am too, and I'm, I'm expecting that I will learn a whole lot. I think you know, just thinking this seriously about something, being sort of this scared of something, or at least at least being this aware of how badly something has the potential to go, <laughs> um, you know, or even dangerously if you're not prepared for it. Right. Uh, I think I just I think I will learn a lot about running. Just kind of I'll have a reason to actually do so. So yeah, so it'll be good. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure people were happy to hear about your thing too because it's just. It's, it's something I can't really imagine myself ever doing. Like I'm, I'm just not enough of an outdoors person to do that. Like I love camping, but when it's camping and like the point is to drink beer, really, and, or like whatever, do stupid things. Sure. Um, 
and, and or take your kid and go for some hikes. But like, I I can't imagine going, I can't imagine hiking that much basically. <laughs> and, right. and I know I know it's not technically, you know, it's not technically hiking. So maybe that would, but carrying something on your back, it seems so difficult. But I don't know. It's it's appealing to hear it. I could see myself doing like a one day version of or a two day, you know, sleep right. over one night and then and then do half a day the next day or something. Yeah. So I don't know. So yeah, I'm glad to have heard about it, and I'm sure you will inspire some other people. Um, are you gonna write about it on your blog? I am. Yeah, it'll be up uh, uh, maybe two day, two or three days after this podcast goes up. So. Okay. So we can always add a link there, but it won't be available. But you can go to Doug's blog, RockCreekWriter.com, and then you then you will uh, be assured of getting getting that post. That's right. Right. Yeah. All right. Good, Doug. Well, I appreciate you doing this as usual and i uh, hope everyone enjoyed it let us know if you want like how how i don't know just how you like this format i mean we're we're happy to i guess it won't be too often that we're both have something significant to talk about that's somewhat related to each other um but you know we like we're totally open to suggestions of whether to do more interviews or if you want if you want us to go read old no athlete posts to you in the <laughs> podcast we could do that Put you to sleep. <laughs> no, that's not really a suggestion. No, it wouldn't be to sleep, Doug. It would, it would, oh, it'd oh be. yeah, yeah. No, right. right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so really, let us know. We're always happy to hear feedback. And uh, besides that, thank you for listening. And uh, I guess we will see you all next time. All right. All right. All right. See you, Doug.